I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience, where two friends pick two topics and find intersections or not. And let me tell you, I don't want to curse like right off the bat. Oh, go for it. We are in this. Let me fucking tell you. Fucking tell me. This weekend has been bananas. <laughs> B-A-N-A-N-A-S. So Obi got stung by a bee. Did I tell you that? You did. Yes. His little face. Oh my god. So I go onto the porch to do my notes for this very podcast. Uh-huh. And I start working and he's like digging in the kind of the corner of the porch and apparently there's carpenter bees. Oh no. So then he he like gets stung by this bee. It's like hanging on for dear life on the end of his like face. Oh. I have to flick the bee the off. The bee off. So then I immediately Google, like, my dog just got stung by a bee. What do, what I, do? I do? And it says, like, put put a, a paste on it. Put, like, a, a baking soda paste. Oh, yeah. I, get, I think that's for, like, for the pain. Well, and to draw out some of the toxins, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm so going to go yes. in, make the fucking paste, go back out, and, like, ha- his face is literally, like, twice as big as it was <gasps> within, like, two minutes. So I call my vet. I was like, can I give this guy Benadryl? Because, you know, he's only six months old. I was like, what do I do? I was like, Ray's going to kill me. <laughs> I was like, this happened on my watch. So then they're like, you need to bring him in. They're worried about, you know, his it impeding his airways because he's got the little smush Because he's got a smushed face because he's a Frenchie. So then they want to hold him for a couple hours. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I going to do for a couple hours while you're holding on to my child? Um, but they pumped him full of some good you know stuff and then for the next like 24 hours he was on benadryl so he just kind of like moved across the carpet like lobbed around the house yeah just like scooted around for a little bit Aww. so he's fine he's okay but like wow that was not what i expected for my weekend i would just like to point out that our teamsters saw the picture on instagram before your best friend saw the picture <laughs> of his poor little face yeah if you if if you follow us on instagram this is not news to you um if you don't follow us on instagram go you, follow us on instagram what are you doing you silly goose we have so many pets to show you we do how are your babies they're good um have you been to all pets considered I, Dolly just got a haircut from there. Oh, cool. Leo is now on CBD from there because oh, he's a little old man. <laughs> <laughs> he's ready for his first uh, music festival now. <laughs> yeah. We'll be nice and doped up for it. Does he? How is he doing with the CBD? Um, I don't give it to him very often. Like just uh, if I notice that he's lagging a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's got little old hips, so. Mm-hmm. We got to keep him comfy. Oh, yeah. Lube him up occasionally. (laughs) When I hip, you hip, we hip. (laughs) Speaking of hips, I noticed Dolly has a little shaved spot on her hip. She got a haircut, and she looks exactly the fucking same. She is the most beautiful cat I think I've ever seen. Uh, I love her. She wasn't here when we recorded last time, but she's here now. She's ready for a close-up, and she's biting my hand. Her presence will be known. Oh, 
here she is. Anyway, what do we got going on this week as far as psychology, my dear? So this week, oh um, yeah, we have a we, we have, have a Patreon a, pick this week. We have a Patreon pick this week. Our dear Patreon Olivia, Olivia picked our topic. Um, do we know Olivia's pronouns? She, her. Cool, awesome. So, um, Olivia, thank you so much. I don't know why I needed to know the pronouns in order to say thank you, but I just so Olivia um, asked that we talk about the chameleon effect. So I have heard of the chameleon effect only kind of an obscure top like conversation, not mm-hmm. as an actual thing. Right. So I was a little curious when she recommended it, like what we were actually going to be talking about. And there's some actual definitions for the chameleon effect. It's also backed up by research, mm-hmm. which is super cool. So thank you so much, Olivia. I'm excited. Me too. Let's get into it. Let's do it. The chameleon effect refers to non-conscious mimicry of the postures, mannerisms, facial expressions, and other behaviors of one's interaction, such that one's behavior passively and unintentionally changes to match that of others in one's current situation. That was a direct quote, in case you could not tell. (laughs) That sounded just like you. (laughs) That's how I talk every day, all day. Uh, So basically, the chameleon effect is completely outside of your awareness, um, and you have no intention of mimicking or imitating people, but you just kind of naturally pick up on their behaviors or mannerisms. What's interesting about this is that um, it suggested that it applies to people who are getting along really well. (gasps) So it's, um, think about like all the things that you and I do, they are super similar. Yeah. We noticed when we first started recording the podcast that we repeat each other a lot. Mm-hmm. We have similar like mannerisms. We say similar phrases mm-hmm. at this point. We've also been best friends for so long. We've just kind of morphed into a singular person. Um, party of one. <laughs> party of one. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and we just did the same hand thing to each other, too. Uh, we spend way too much time together. But research suggests that the bi-directional relationship of this, so the fact that it goes both ways, um, increases our likability towards each other. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I am mimicking you, you are mimicking me, um, we're one big happy family, yeah. is indicative that we, are, we get along, we like each other, we're um, noticing these little things that we do and we're internalizing them. And then copying them. Yeah. Now, you and I still have very different personalities. So this is not about personality. You're not picking up on, you know, if you start hanging out with a really extroverted friend, you might talk louder, mm-hmm. but you might not, you know, become an extrovert. Right. Like, right, this right, is right. specifically while you're around this person uh, and has nothing to do with personality. Charterand and Barg called the, or are the two people who coined the term chameleon effect. And really did most of the research. They were both professors of psychology at New York University and conducted experiments to study this phenomenon in 1999. Mm. They basically had three questions. They wanted to know if people would automatically copy each other regardless of familiarity. Uh, Number two, if doing so increases likability. And number three whether people who are more agreeable are more likely to display the phenomenon. Mm. So what does agreeability and disposition have to do with it, basically? 
In their experiment, 78 individuals were asked to talk to each of the experimenters one-on-one. So these two people sat down in separate rooms and called people in one at a time. Consciously, the experimenters employed uh, varying mannerisms. Like one would smile and touch their face more. The other would like wiggle or bounce their foot more. And they would study their subjects and notice whether the subject copied the experimenter who was a stranger to them. Mm -hmm. So do you need to know the person to start copying their mannerisms? No, you do not. You do not. Firsthand. (laughs) (laughs) They increased, or the subjects increased the amount at which they touched their face by 20%, and more than 50% would begin wagging their foot when they saw the experimenter doing it. So, yes. Like, you will mimic people regardless of familiarity. Right, absolutely. Um, Which makes so much sense. Like, if you're meeting someone new, and even if you know you're part of an experiment, but you don't necessarily know what the experiment is for, maybe you're a little uncomfortable, you're seeking connection with people, and connection happens through mimicking in some instances. Or even in, like, every day. Yeah. Like, for me, it's accents. Yeah. Like, I cannot help myself. But I can't. I, I can't. So do you feel like, because I know that you do accents a lot on the pod, but do you feel like if you're talking to someone who has an accent that you'll pick up their accent while you talk to them? Because that no. would be the chameleon effect. No, 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 no. I think it's, it's it, something I've experienced recently. So if I've been talking to somebody who, like, let's say has an Australian accent, I might, I, I would work that in somehow I don't know if it's consciously or subconsciously, but like I'm more likely to repeat it if I've heard it recently. Yeah. So the chameleon effect specifically applies while you're with that person. Ah, okay. And then maybe a little while afterwards, but it doesn't stick around. So like you doing your um, your accents, even if you've recently been around someone with an Australian accent, um, you're not consistently doing it when they're not around no but i do have a really fucked up story oh tell me tell me i don't know if we're gonna be able to put this in here i'm gonna have to get permission but i have a friend um who was dating somebody who faked an accent for years (gasps) really yes Oh my gosh. Okay, you're going to have to tell me more about that later. I will. But faked an accent, like, did not know, was just out in the world. Presented themselves to be from somewhere they weren't. So yeah, some of that might be related to, at least perhaps for you, a little bit of the chameleon effect. Um, I think it's also, I actually read recently that it might be a sign of being ADHD is when you pick up on other people's accents and then employ them in your own Absolutely. Like, communication. So that would make sense too. Yeah. And, and singing and yeah, all the things I do. <laughs> <laughs> we need Everything. to have a whole other conversation about that. <laughs> okay. Got it. Yeah. So to answer the second question, individuals went back into the room uh, to have a conversation with the experimenter. And this time, half the subjects, uh, the experimenters maintained a neutral or relaxed position. And for the other half of the subjects, the experimenters mimicked the posture, movements, and mannerisms of their subjects. So the first time, they were trying to see if people would mimic them. Mm -hmm. This time, they mimicked their subjects. Mm. Afterwards, 
The participants on a scale of one to nine rated how much they liked the experimenter and the smoothness of the interaction. Oh, like, I'm did sure it feel it comfortable? Smooth as butter when they're acting just like you. <laughs> um, this resulted in a minor correlation, but still there was a correlation. Those who um, were mimicked rated the ex- how much they liked the experimenter and smoothness at about a 6.7, whereas those who were not mimicked rated it as a 5.9. So, like, okay. a one-point difference. Right. Which is still a correlation. Sure. Um, and it still goes to prove that people who are mimicked do feel more comfortable, um, especially if it's unconscious. Mm-hmm. So, because it was an experiment and the contra- the um, experimenters were doing it consciously, I would love to know how that impacted you know, because I feel like I have a really strong bullshit radar. Mm-hmm. And if someone was mimicking me consciously, I feel like I'd pick up on it. Sure. A little bit more than if it was an unconscious thing. Maybe. Or maybe you'd be like, this person is amazing. <laughs> so likable. Also a possibility. Well, I would give match- them a 6.73. Right. When you match somebody's cadence, when you match the way that somebody, like, how fast or slow or like yeah i get it yeah. you know then then you think that you have something in common with that person maybe you're from a similar place well and this is not about the uh chameleon effect but to your point you can also help with like if you're talking to someone who's really energetic and um you're trying to encourage them to um, maybe be a little quieter or whatever else. <laughs> well, if you lower your tone, people will start to match you as well. Mm-hmm. And I think just knowing that about the way that psychology and the brain works um, is really fascinating. Yeah. Like we mimic each other all the time, consciously and subconsciously. And now I feel like I should be about right here. So now we're going to talk like this <laughs> for the rest of the episode. We need to get back to our ASMR. Hello. Ooh. Welcome to Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and, and find intersections. <laughs> or not. <laughs> the third step, the researchers wanted to find out what kind of psychological dispositions or what kind of psychological disposition affects a person's tendency of naturally engaging in mimicry more than another disposition. This looked at uh, perspective taking, so how people naturally assume other people's perspectives, like can you put yourself in my shoes pretty easily. Mm-hmm. The subjects were asked to fill out a questionnaire along with a measure of empathy, and they were asked to sit across from the experimenter who did the same mannerisms as before. In this experiment, they found that individuals who were more open to other people's ideas mimicked face rubbing and foot wagging gestures by 30 and 50% respectively. So what this discovered was that people's empathetic characteristics do not affect their rate of mimicry at all. Perspective taking is more about cognition than emotion. So it's less about are you emotionally connected to somebody and Mm -hmm. willing and going to engage in mimicry or are you cognitively like, do you feel like you're on the same wavelength? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you able to put yourself in their shoes and understand, you know? them from that perspective okay which feels like a fine hair to split but that's yeah. really, that's what we're at so what's the impact here 
for most people, it's perfectly normal to um, mimic people. Like, we do it every day. Mm -hmm. You do it when you walk into a job interview and you're not really sure what you should be doing with your hands. You look at everyone else in the room and you start doing whatever it is they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the reasons that, you know, you might have the same mannerisms or gestures as all the people in your family or your best friend or whatever else. Oh, my God. Have you, have you like, when you go into a family, it's like being indoctrinated into a whole <laughs> new society. It absolutely is. There's the families that, like, exclusively talk to the animals and do not talk to you. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. There's, like, it's like the people who, like, do you wear pajamas to breakfast or do you wear your normal clothes to breakfast? Have you ever seen your parents in anything other than formal clothes? There we go. But, yeah. So you're, yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think part of it's, like, the culture of the family. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, it's so ingrained in you at that point. Like, you don't even think about the fact that you and your siblings all sit the same way. Mm -hmm. Or all do the same gestures. Or all, like, pick at the same place. Or, you know, twiddle your hair the same way. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a thing that you pick up on. (laughs) Pick at the same... Pick at the same I don't know. I was, like... (laughs) No, I love it. It's so true. It's such a weird thing to notice. This is unrelated, but I said, I found this really horrible picture. My sister and I texted it to her today. (laughs) And when I was in high school, I made her a a plate, like a, like a, a plate Uh with my face on it. But I'm doing this like really horrific face. And so it's like a really good dinner Kind of like dinner oh, nice. party plate, yeah. like you, you might maybe put some cookies on it or like some <laughs> cupcakes, and then as the items get taken away, it is then revealed the back your face, yeah, face on it. And so I am gonna make a plate with the face of the new of the picture I sent to her today because it matched <laughs> the um, it, it matched. There was a chameleon effect that. there. <laughs> Link up there. <laughs> Link up there. If you live with or interact with another person or other people long enough, you're bound to pick up some of their behaviors, mannerisms, facial expressions, and gestures. It also has a positive impact on human social interactions. Now, there is a concern around people who mimic people who aren't as in tune with their gestures and can often ring false alarms in your brain. I imagine it's especially difficult if this is a thing that you do regularly and then change drastically from person to person. The chameleon effect is also separate from taking on another person's identity or personality. That is not at all what we are talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a little bit more digging because a lot of this sounds really positive, right? Like you're connecting with people. You are, it's mostly harmless. Like you're, you know, mimicking a thing that they do and it helps them feel more connected to you. You feel more connected to them. That's fantastic. I did read one article that was about borderline personality disorder and the chameleon effect. Do you know Mm. much about borderline personality disorder? I sure don't. Okay. So one of the defining characteristics of those with BPD is a consistent uh, change in their sense of self as they struggle to fit in with the environment and the people around them. Many people with BPD experience an unstable sense of self and they have a strong fear of abandonment. Okay. 
So the chameleon effect may have especially strong impacts on these individuals and could even aid in masking the disorder itself. So a person with BPD may mimic the people who are around them to such a great extent that even when they go to a therapist or psychiatrist or doctor, they will mimic uh, that person well enough that the person may not notice that they have mental sure. health issues. Sure. Um, specifically BPD. Mm-hmm. So it's a survive it, to me. Like, as you say that, it sounds like a coping mechanism. Yeah. Like a survival yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. That's exactly kind of the point that I got to with it as well. in it's most extreme form. Um, people who have BPD are often considered to be charming and really likable by those who aren't part of their inner circle. Um, people who are within their inner circle, see how dysregulated they can become. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense that they're seen as charming because they really can kind of take on the different pieces of those who are around them. Mm-hmm. The chameleon effect also may be stronger for those with attachment disorders, anxiety, etc. This is not to pathologize the chameleon effect, but rather to talk about how this can be seen in any number of ways by people with and without mental health issues. There's also some relationship to masking for neurodivergent people. Okay, that's what I was, yes, going yeah. to. So people who are neurodivergent are those with um, autism, ADHD, any number of things where your brain just doesn't work like a lot of other brains, and you're constantly trying to figure out how to navigate social interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so the primary difference between these two, it seems to be some level of awareness. Like the chameleon effect, as we've already discussed, is largely non-conscious, whereas masking, to a certain extent, may be non-conscious, but there's also a really practiced component to masking. Like you're studying the people around you and processing whatever input you get and then figuring out why people are doing the things that they're doing and if you need to be doing them too. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, if you're in a Zoom call and even with coworkers or something, And um, you're like, oh, I need to smile now because everyone else is smiling and you're trying to fit in. That's masking. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you have picked up on a coworker's mannerisms or, you know, propensity to like twiddle a pen, that's a very different thing. Right. Sure. So what stands out to me about all of this is that we have heard um, that we are the average of like the five people that you spend the most time with. Have you ever heard that before? No. Oh, I like that though. Me too. So I think about this a lot actually. Um, and especially in the past year with not being around people, like I felt like I really developed into a truer sense of who I am. Mm, Yes. Um, but I also like, I spend so much time with you. You and I talk every day Mm -hmm. And I see the ways that you and I um, are connected and how I've brought certain pieces of that into my life. And I'm really happy with those pieces. I'm sorry if (laughs) I apologize. And also family, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, we spend a substantial amount of time, especially before college, with our families. Right. So we really take on a lot of the same personality, mannerisms, and characteristics of our family. But who are the five people that we spend the most time with? Do we share some of their mannerisms? Do we find the same things funny? Is this was this as true before we spent time with that person as it is 
It's so interesting because I, I think it also works with like personal life versus like work life. Oh, absolutely. You know, I don't, I choose not to talk about work on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just like an active choice for me, but I, you know, I'm not myself at no. work. I'm a, I'm an alter. Well, and I think self. we, yeah, I think that that's normal. We all put up different pieces of ourselves depending on who we're around mm-hmm. and like from work to personal life. And even within different friend groups, you might present different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that it's fascinating to look at who you're around and like really pay attention to what you're picking up on. Oh yeah. And putting back out and how you're mirroring those people. And that's so true. I mean, how can you not rub off? I mean, think about friend groups. You're, you've got inside jokes, you've got, you know, just like things that you're watching on TV. I mean, half the shit I say is quotes from, from (laughs) fucking movies. Yeah. The office. Like none of this is original. Well, there is no original thought also. Yeah. Which that's another topic for another day. <laughs> um, but as our sponsor pointed out, the person who inspired this topic for her, she can tell who that person has been hanging out with just based on the accents or mannerisms that she exhibits. Yeah. And I think that that's really interesting. That is cool. Um, and I think it just speaks to how well you know people and can pick up on those slight changes in their mannerisms. I wonder how, like, the laugh, like, people's yeah. laughs are so unique to them mm-hmm. but like at what point do we develop our laugh and like do those Ooh. change Ooh, Ooh, you know what i mean yeah because like have you ever been in a room where somebody's got like a really distinct laugh our uh geologist friend oh yes the most distinct <laughs> laugh i've yeah, ever heard yeah. yeah that's a good point so like at what point if you're trapped you know in a bank vault with them or whatever like, when do you start adapting? You know, when does that become your new normal, I wonder? Oh, that's a great question. And I, so I think one of the ways that um, mimicking can show up is in meeting people's energy level to a certain extent. Oh, I guess. And so if we are around our friends who are naturally louder than we are, do we pick up similar, you know, ways that they laugh mm-hmm. or volume levels, things like that? Yeah. I'd say yes, probably. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say yes, too. Let's speculate wildly and say yes. Um, But yeah, so there's actual research to back this up and to show that not only do we do this with our friends and people that we're with, you know, the five people you spend the most time with, but also strangers. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's definitely about feeling connected to other people. So that's crazy. Yeah. To me, like I, I... I get the connection, mm-hmm. but like for me, it feels like I just don't want to be that one person who's not like doing the thing. Yeah. Well, and I think that part of that going back to like, as it relates to neurodivergence and masking, mm-hmm. right. Versus being one-on-one with a person. And if you see that they're, you know, touching their face a lot, then you start touching your face too. Mm-hmm. I know that you don't like touching your face, but I've gotten a lot better over the years, but yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. So I think that some of this is general social interactions versus one-on-one situations. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So go check out the research. Um, there's other research about this, 
it's just difficult to find. A lot of it um, were lengthy journal articles that you had to pay to have access to. Yikes. What? Yep. I know you, you bring that up a lot. but I know. It just pisses me off. I really love research. Yeah. Um, and it's so frustrating that you have to be in school or pay additional money to get to good research. Yep. So Don't I need to no find sense. friends who are in school that I can tap into their library <laughs> access. Tap, tap, tap in. So thank you, Olivia. I'm, I was super excited to learn more about this. Um, I feel like I learned a lot, and I think that there's a lot of link-ups, as Allie has started calling them, between chameleon effect and a lot of other things like masking and um, positive and negative social interactions. So definitely could do a deeper dive at some point, um, but this was a really amazing jumping off Absolutely. point looking at the research, which you know I love. Thank you so much, Olivia. And if anybody else, if you're interested in choosing a topic for us, just head on over to our Patreon account website. I don't know. Whatever it is. <laughs> Patreon.com slash podcast without an audience. You can check it out. See, see what else is going on. You know, the pasta recipe is still up for grabs. Also, our close friends group on Instagram. Um, oh, yeah. Also, Patreons get first... Uh, they get first notifications when our merch is up, which we're super excited we gotta for. Talk about merch, TBD. Um, so all of that is super exciting. But we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back for my portion. All right, and welcome back. We are going to start with my history topic. Okay, so I have learned you a little bit over these past <laughs> few months, and I can typically tell at this point when we've got an upper or a roll downer, we, you and know, you just gave me the side eye, so I am concerned. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about Columbine today, so, <sighs> you know, it's a, it's a heavy one, but yep. it's also, you know, important to be talking about. Oh, absolutely. And, um... What I choose to cover today is a little bit more dynamic than what just happened that day. Okay. Okay. Well, and you do a really great job of um, covering heavy, hard topics and looking at them more holistically than just the events of one specific day. So I'm really excited to learn more about this because I don't know a lot. Mm -hmm. I remember when it happened. Yeah. Um, And I remember there were at least one Flyleaf song about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. You don't know Flyleaf? I have not heard <laughs> Flyleaf in a minute. <laughs> yeah, there's at least one Flyleaf song about it. Um, wow. I forget the title right now, but I think I still know every word. Okay. Yep. Huh. We'll look that up here shortly. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So Tuesday, April 20th, 1999, Dylan Keybold left his family home in the morning as if it was a regular day. He called, quote, bye to his mother and walked out the door. Instead of heading to school, he met a friend named Eric Harris, uh, where they went over the steps of the plan they had been working on for a full year uh, to bomb their high school. They drove in separate cars to the parking lot of their high school, Columbine High, in Littleton, Colorado. At 11.10 a.m., Dylan and Eric entered the school and headed to the cafeteria. 
They placed two duffel bags in the cafeteria, each duffel bag containing a 20-pound propane bomb. The bombs were set to detonate seven minutes later at 11.17. They exited the school to wait for the bombs to detonate, and when they did not, they re-entered the school at 11.19. On the way into the school, it is said that Eric saw a friend named Brooks Brown, who was smoking at the designated smoking area. This is back when high schools had designated smoking areas. So he told Brooks to leave school and alluded that something terrible was about to happen, and Brooks did leave. They began shooting their fellow classmates outside of the school. They then moved inside the school and continued to open fire. They made their way across the school campus and ended up in the library where they killed a number of students. The majority of their stu- of the students were killed in the library. That's the piece that I remembered the most. Mm-hmm. The gunmen then turned the guns on themselves and died by suicide, leaving many unanswered questions. The victims of the Columbine shooting include Casey Barnell, 17, Stephen Kernow, 14, Corey DePooter, 17, Kelly Fleming, 16, Matthew Ketcher, 16, Daniel Mauser, 15, Daniel Roberg, 15, William Dave Sanders, 47, Rachel Scott, 17, Isaiah Schulz, 18, John Tolman, 16, Lauren Townsend, 18, and Kyle Velasquez, 16. In total, 12 students and one teacher were ultimately uh, ultimately died that day, as well as the two uh, gunmen themselves. So, with the deaths came a lot of questions, and the majority of the focus of my research today, because what happened that day was really tragic, Yeah. Um, but what I want to focus on is how the media reacted initially to the, uh, to the news, and how false information was then spread to the masses, yeah. and, and people still believe that today, yeah. which is one of the worst disservices a news station can do is to publish false information right because people are not i mean they're relying really heavily obviously on those sources and people don't follow up people go their whole lives thinking things are true when they're not it's it's hard to talk about so in 1999 we would have been in what grade third that sounds right um, so we were pretty far removed from high school, mm-hmm. but I remember like my mom was a high school guidance counselor at that time or somewhere around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like thinking about how this was the first real school shooting that I have any awareness of. And there have been so many more since then. Um, one of my good friends just recently finished up her PhD and her dissertation was on secondary re- trauma responses in first responders. So mm. I'm interested to see if any of your research is going to cover like the people who got the phone calls, mm-hmm. the 911 dispatchers, the people who showed up on the scene. Mm-hmm. Her research, I think, was specifically around Sandy Hook. Yeah. Um, so different state, different decade even. But um, like seeing 
our country's response to this mass murder, mass shooting, done by teenagers in a high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that we'll probably talk about mental health. We'll talk about, mm-hmm. you know, all of the implications in um, the families of the victims as well as maybe even the shooters. But I think that it's also interesting to think about the people that we don't often see mm-hmm. who are the ones that had to show up and figure out what was going on and how to respond. Right. And, you know, we're the first people in the school to try and clean up. Yeah. Um, and all the trauma that that carries. So I will touch on that i talk about the police and um first responders a little bit okay um but what i did notice in my research was how much focus is generally on the people committing these crimes as opposed to the victims and the communities around it well i think that the reason that we focus so much on the perpetrators is that we want to know how to stop something like this like how do we get to this point how do we prevent it from happening again right why why and the answer lies in the person who committed the crime um it's also so far out of a lot of our realms of um understanding Mm -hmm. that it's a curiosity like we don't want to imagine that we could be the victims to something like this absolutely so instead we focus on like why did these people do this thing? Because it's not a thing that I can understand. Yep, absolutely. So we are going to be talking about uh, what the media got wrong. Okay. Um, That's what we're going to discuss first. So the first one was that the media stated that the two young men, Dylan and Eric, were a part of a, quote, gang called the Trenchcoat Mafia. That doesn't ring a single bell for me. (laughs) I mean, also the weirdest fucking name for a gang. Okay, so here's the thing. It's not even really a gang. See, this is the thing. Okay, so Dylan and Eric did wear trench coats. Also, like, it was a style thing. So the, the year before, seniors the year before started like a little club called the Trenchcoat Mafia and it was just a bunch of weird kids who played video games <laughs> and like wore trench coats and like were kind of goth. Yep. There was still the group that I went to school with in high school who still wore trench coats and were kind of goth. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean I think that group exists in probably still in most schools oh yeah and those like, are the kids those are the kids you want to hang out with i'm telling you right now they have the best taste in music they sure damn do also one of the guys in my high school who wore his trench coat every day also ate with chopsticks all the time like really? exclusively with chopsticks wow and it's one of the few things i remember about him um is that he just loved his chopsticks <laughs> i wonder what he's doing right now he's probably running some company oh he's probably fucking killing it and whatever he's doing like he was brilliant a little different i wish we could all go back to high school and just understand that one it doesn't fucking matter yeah and two just like be yourself i know there's so many things going against you but like stay true to who you are because we cared so much in high school i know um we wanted to fit in in some way like even if you didn't want to fit in with the popular crowd you wanted to fit in with somebody yeah 
Um, it's funny because I relate to this trench coat mafia thing because my high school friends, which was essentially like the Island of Misfit Toys, we like drew anchors on our forearms and like we, we called ourselves Team Brutal and like <laughs> we were totally weird. And that's exactly what I thought of when I was like trench coat mafia. That's like somebody being like, oh, they were part of Team Brutal and like there's, you know, th- they've done this like horrible thing. I'd be like, huh me like what like it doesn't it's so outside of um the realm of possibilities um but the washington post the denver post and the new york times all reported that first of all there was a gang called the trench coat mafia and that dylan and eric were in it okay so fake news um didn't have all the facts way to overgeneralize people who wear trench coats in high school. That's right. Um, yeah. Okay. So another false speculation was that Dylan and Eric were outcasts. Were they not? They were not. Oh. Uh, this was widely spread by all media outlets. Everybody really, really clung on to this. Um, it's reported that they both had friends both participated in school activities and functions. They both worked together at a part-time job at a pizza place. Um, quote, uh, they were in a bowling league. Harris had played on the school soccer team as a freshman and sophomore and continued to play soccer and volleyball after school. According to the sheriff's office report, Klebold was in a fantasy baseball league and had gone to prom with a female friend a few days before the massacre. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I think it's easy to, like, put, a, you know, every like I say every week, everybody wants to put somebody into a box and everybody's trying to rationalize, like, why something like this would happen. Um, and this is a time where mental illness is not necessarily being talked about as much. Yeah. So it's really easy to put these, these kids into these stereotypes as being loners and being weird and well and i think it distances yourself from having to relate to them that's a good point like if you it's a really good point yeah i think that we're trying to put and i see this a lot when people are uncomfortable with um the decisions or actions of somebody that Otherwise, they could potentially be lumped into the same group as. Mm -hmm. We try and figure out other ways to make sure that people don't see us as them. Yeah. Or see them as part of us. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's compartmentalizing and um, just creating distance. I think that's a good point. Yeah. And, And also part of it, too, you know that Dylan Klebold's mom has a TED Talk. Yeah. You're the TED Talk queen. I am. I think I've shared it with you at some point. Yes, you did. Thank you. So part of what she's trying to do is to speak her truth mm-hmm. and um, also prevent, you know, hopefully, you know, something can good come out of this that yeah. she can help others, like, recognize these patterns and other Uh, students and things like that um but you know part of the media sensation is trying to determine how to not have this happen again yeah um we could change gun laws 
We could change gun laws, like, but that, that would be seems too like easy. a really rational next step here. That should have been step number one. Right. However, instead we have to have a mom who has to relive the worst day of her life. Yeah. Over and I want to change I I want to kind of save that also okay. till the end so we can talk about it more, but it did want to make that point that like you know, people choose to like put the label them as outcasts so that they can, you know, focus on one group to yeah. to continue to perpetuate like this narrative that they've right. created. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so we'll come back to that a little bit more because yeah. I have other thoughts on her TED talk. Yes, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna cap out this whole thing at that. Perfect. Can we say cap out? Yeah, I was gonna say, is that? Let me read. Let me. <laughs> I was like, what? I've what never are the implications about, of the phrase yeah, what, cap out? I've never thought about what that word means. Um, we will end with that. We will end with that. We'll talk about what that means. Perfect. Okay. I mean, I hate it, but perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, The third misrepresentation in media was that the attack was revenge for being bullied. Quote, in the aftermath of the shooting, if reporters asked other students, was so-and-so ever picked on? The answer just on average is going to be yes. The significance of that, though, is completely unknown. In fact, Harris's personal writings show many, quote, reasons for his desire to kill. One being he wanted to see himself as, quote, the law. Two, for sadistic pleasure. Three, because the human race is, quote, only worth killing. Four, as a revenge for being teased. I think that it is oversimplifying to say that they did this because they were being picked on or teased yeah we're looking for a reason when there doesn't have to be one specific reason and there's not and it's also victim shaming um like they killed all of these people we are saying it's because well those people may have picked on them right this is not about the people who may or may not have ever picked on these two young men right so revenge was only one of many reasons listed. Um, and more often than not, Harris expressed a desire to kill complete strangers. Harris and Klebold did not kill any of the students who had teased them. School shooters rarely do. Mm-hmm. The two even said that they knew that some of their friends might die in the attack. Wow. Yep. So piggybacking off of that, they didn't... Um, kill people who quote tease them they shot at random yeah it was all random so how many more miss uh and pieces of misinformation do you have because i have a question about one that you haven't brought up but i don't want to uh i have one speak more. prematurely <laughs> i have one more okay the last is that um their attacks were religiously motivated that was the one that mm-hmm. i've heard yeah um and this is what Flyleaf song is about specifically it mentions Cassie who I think you said is like 15 yeah. and she was killed in the library yep so go ahead because I need to know the actual answer to this okay I hope that I hope that it's what you I don't know I don't have a expectation expectation okay. for the outcome I'm just curious like I just want to know 
So, quote, in the days immediately following the shootings, it was speculated that Harris and Klebold purposefully chose athletes, minorities, and Christians as their victims. It was initially reported that one student, Cassie Barnall, Mm -hmm. was asked by one of the gunmen if she believed in God. When Bernal allegedly said yes, she was shot to death. Her parents later wrote a book titled She Said Yes, honoring their daughter. Mm -hmm. However, it later was determined that the question was not posed to Bernal, but another student who already had been wounded by a gunshot. When that victim replied yes, the shooter walked away. And this is from reports of other, from other children who were in the library. From witnesses, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I needed a minute to process that. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the big, that's one of the big things that we heard too, especially like in church. Yeah. I mean, we both grew up in the Bible Belt um, and I don't remember a specific sermon about the Columbine shooting. Most of what I remember was the news, parents talking about it, and then, of course, this one Flyleaf song, which just sticks out for Mm -hmm. me. Um, But I think that it... I remember people asking the question, like, what would you say if someone asked you if you believe in God? Right, and you had a gun to your head. Yeah, which is such an inappropriate thing to ask anybody. Sure. Anybody. um, But being from a small Christian southern town... It wasn't an uncommon question. Right. Like, how deep is your faith? Right. Which, again, I think really narrows the scope of, like, you're trying to fit what happened into this box mm-hmm. and rationalize it in a way that's not possible. So. Yep. Um, but it sounds like for Cassie's parents, maybe hearing that narrative might have brought them some comfort or Absolutely. healing or peace. Yeah. And if that's what you need um, in order to process the most tragic, awful thing, then. Well, and how, you know, the information that is initially brought to you. Yeah. Is, you know, what you're going to hold on to for a long time. And like, I was really surprised to read that, you know. Well, I think I'd always kind of wondered if it was true um, or what about it was true. Yeah. And honestly, we may never really know. Right. Like, that's a good point. Who was there? Right. Who survived? What was their proximity to the person who was shot? I mean, so many yeah. questions. Right. So what is true? What's true about what happened that day? First thing is that the attack was initially planned for the day before which oh. was April 19th, 1999, which was both the anniversary of the end of the Waco raids and the Oklahoma City bombing. The attack was intended to be a bombing, and the shooting would have then taken place with people running from, from oh. the bomb. Oh, I see. Okay. So it didn't happen as planned because, remember, they put the, the Do bombs... Do we know why the bombs didn't detonate? Not particular, not specifically, other than the fact that they made them themselves, and they yeah. they were throwing throwing explosives in the um, in the building. Yeah. But those two, you know, initial the, bombs did not did okay. not detonate. Um, they hoped to be shot by police. The police department did not enter the building while they were alive. 
um, which is why they ended their own lives. It took paramedics three and a half hours to reach Dave Sanders, who was the teacher, and he passed away before he could receive proper medical attention. So from my research, it seems like the, the town's police department was so unprepared for something like this, and there wasn't necessarily protocols in place, and... Well, how do you prepare for something like this? Yeah. Well, I and mean, we know that this this very incident started um, active know, shooter drills. Yeah, and lockdowns. Yeah. And I remember being in, I think, third or fourth grade. It must have been third grade because I switched schools for fourth grade. Um, and having a bomb drill mm-hmm. and being absolutely terrified because in third grade, you have no idea right. what's real and what's not. And... Um, that was my first awareness that school was not a safe place. Mm-hmm. Like tornado drills are very different. Right. Um, but active shooter drills, bomb drills, you know. Well, my when I was in elementary school, um, the high school I ended up going to had a lot of bomb threats. Mm. And kids were basically calling in bomb threats to the school and they would have to cancel school because at this point they're not taking any yeah, no chances. No chances, right? So it kind of became part of the high school narrative or the school narrative in general to be thinking about things like this. And this is not the first school shooting. No, but I feel like it's the first one that really made national news. It was it was the biggest one in my memory. And people have like um people have been quote inspired by the Columbine shootings and I've it heard really that. has been like glorified unfortunately yeah in a lot of ways laura townsend who was one of the victims was the valedictorian of her class so her parents accepted the award on her behalf and i watched a lot of interviews with uh, students who had been in you know who had were there that day a lot of them sustained injuries Um, graduation was a huge time, like, mark. This was April. Uh, so they would have graduated two months later. Right. Wow. So there were, there were students who were paralyzed, Mm -hmm. who had to learn how to walk again. And a lot of them were, they had the goals to walk by graduation. So... This would have been mostly for underclassmen who, you know, needed a year or two for the recovery. Um, But there were people who walked to graduation who didn't know that they would walk again. That gives me chills and also breaks my heart. Yeah, I know. I know. Mark Maines, who was the man who sold a gun uh, to Eric Harris... Uh, and bought him 100 rounds of ammunition that day before the murders, was sentenced to six years in prison for buying the gun or selling him the gun underage. Oh, oh, gotcha. I wasn't sure if they were trying to charge him with being like an accomplice or underage. Got it. No. And then also uh, a man named Philip Duran who introduced uh, Eric Harris to Mark Maines as a person he could purchase the gun from was was also sentenced to prison time. Okay. Let's go back to um, Miss Klebold's TED Talk. 
And if you, we will link it on our website. Um, really, really, she's discussing mental health, mm-hmm. the mental health of her son. Yeah. And how she's, um, you know, he was really struggling and um, just suicide prevention in general, I think, was a big takeaway. Absolutely. And it, what it sounds like to me from kind of what I've heard is that her son was more had more suicidal ideation mm-hmm. where the other shooter had more homicidal ideation. Right. That's correct. Um, both of which are horrible and both of which when recognized early and given appropriate supports are treatable. Mm-hmm. Like suicidal ideation is a thing that so many people experience throughout their lives and seeking support is a sign of strength and um it's so hard to ask especially for young men who our um system doesn't necessarily recognize that men also need mental health support people typically tell young boys to suck it up or rub some dirt in it or whatever so men suppress their emotions um yeah but i think that this is a consequence of a really poorly defined mental health system um also a lack of gun laws like there it was the perfect storm Mm -hmm. for this tragic event yeah and both dylan and eric both kept journals they definitely wrote things down Mm -hmm. they had been planning this for you know about a year beforehand so it was something that um kind of came up as an idea and then fantasy kind of took took hold of it about you know what it could do in in their favor and you know it obviously escalated to to what we know today um but again i think i want to you know i want to focus on the victims and their families and one thing i did take away from my research was that the community of columbine um or littleton colorado is that there's such a sense of community yeah and everybody is is helping everybody to to get through it and to honor um you know those that died and um and those who were um you know injured and still working through that pain yeah um yeah uh i think that when you have experienced we've talked about trauma bonds before um and I imagine that this was a similar experience for especially the families that stayed Mm -hmm. um, and the youth that stayed in school. Mm -hmm. I'm also certain that a lot of them moved um, because I can't imagine having survived this and then having to go back to school the next year. Um, But you're definitely connected to these people for the rest of your life. And yeah. Everyone lost something that day, whether it was a friend or a teacher or even just a sense of innocence Mm -hmm. and felt safety. There are. uh, So the 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 kids who went through this are now older and they have kids. Yeah. So that was also something that I saw was like, you know, understanding what the parents, what their parents went through the day they got the phone call that something had happened at the school. Mm hmm. Um, but also some of the students who were, were there that day are now teachers at Columbine High School. 
So they have made it their active mission to, you know, be a supportive. Yeah. um, To be in this community. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. 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 I got chills again. Um, I think that going back to an earlier point, you, or we were talking about how um, we're trying to other the shooters so that you know mm-hmm. we're not associating with them in any way i think that the media often does that so that no one else has to claim responsibility for columbine sure and i think that there's other responsibility to be had um i think that it's not something our government has ever addressed right and other than to say well that was a shitty thing that happened like right. they haven't the day that they did not immediately address gun laws, they made a very strong stance about where they stood regarding guns. Right. Um, the So in the TED Talk, Miss um, Klebold's TED Talk, she mentioned that they did not have guns in their home. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. he did not grow up around guns. He bought a gun the same day, right? Or maybe the day before? Yep, day before. Right about that same time, yeah. So... It should never be that easy for someone to access guns. Um, a minor. A minor, especially, yeah. Yeah. Um, or someone who, like, even it takes how long to get a job and to go through background checks or to get a car. Mm-hmm. Um, it should take at least that long to, to buy a gun. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Now, um, I... I'm not anti-gun, to be clear. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think that it should have been as easy as it was for him to have access to one, especially since there wasn't one in their home. Right. Well, and especially, I mean, you know, we see that the person who sold him that gun, you know, went to prison for six years. Was that for um, Eric? Eric, or? yeah, Eric. All right, so um, how do you think that these topics intersect? Specifically with the chameleon effect, I can't say that they do. Mm -hmm. Because the chameleon effect is a very specific, like, unconsciously mimicking people's behaviors and mannerisms. Right. What I think, I think that the connection here, or the link up, as you've started calling (laughs) it, is, um, I don't know. Because, I mean, we talk about connection Mm -hmm. and people wanting to feel connected. And clearly that there was something going on but I don't want to minimize I'm having incomplete thoughts now because so I mean okay so if we know that Dylan if we know that Dylan was more suicidal and Eric was more homicidal uh, homicidal is it possible that Dylan was influenced potentially potentially we don't have I mean we don't ultimately don't know right um but I think that it's okay that we don't... I mean, obviously, these are two completely separate things. And history does not always have to intersect. I... Yeah, I agree. I think that... Also, without knowing the boys' um, mental health backgrounds and diagnoses, it's really difficult. Dolly, you may not purr into the microphone. Honey, there you go. Without knowing the boys' um, mental health backgrounds, I don't want to be overzealous and just assume that, like, what their mental health issues were besides homicidal and suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it's probably safe to say that at some point, if they had seen the psychologist or psychiatrist, they would have received the um, care and guidance. Right. And I think that a lot of mental health issues are isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about how the chameleon effect impacts uh, borderline personality disorder, where you have no sense of self and really struggle with um, fears of abandonment. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what that lack of sense of self may have felt like for these two young men mm-hmm. um, who then did this horrific thing. Like they clearly weren't able to connect with or empathize enough with other people to have a desire to not kill them. Right. Which is a very crass way of putting it, but right. Um, well, and even people that they knew, like I, you know, her I saw interviews with students speaking to, you know, Dylan and Eric before being shot mm-hmm. by one or both of them. Yeah, you know, so um, there was very much a disconnect. Um, right. So, yeah, and I think that. Um, it's just hard to have so much missing information and so many answers that we'll never yeah. find out. Right. And I don't want, like, there's so many people in the world with mental health issues who never end up going on killing sprees. Absolutely. Um, and to assume that there's a correlation between mental health and mass murder does a real strong injustice. That's to, a good point. That's a really, really good point. Yeah. I, I feel like it's so dangerous in a lot of ways to talk about mental health as it relates to this, because there are so many other factors. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I know that I brought up the point about mental health. So <laughs> it's a fine, it's a fine line and it's something that we can speculate and talk about. But ultimately um, our two topics this week, there might be some intersection with mental health, but what it boils down to is the chameleon effect is about connection and what happened here was the absence of any form of connection mm-hmm. um, to the point where people died. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great way to end this the segment here for sure. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely fascinating. Also, I think it's so, you know, the fact that we don't know what the other person is covering. Mm-hmm creates such a dialogue for so many things and i think that's one of one of the reasons why we wanted to do this was to to dig a little bit deeper you know we're you know this is a podcast with a purpose we're not just here to scream into the void um as much as we really love screaming into the void Mm -hmm. which we do (laughs) we definitely do but if you want to choose a topic for us um head on over to our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash podcast without an audience. Um, you can pick a psychology, a history, or a cult topic. Um, if you pick the cult topic, pick a really good movie. Uh, again, Tammy and the T-Rex, top notch. A plus. Um, otherwise, we might veto your movie pick and ask you to pick something else. <laughs> Hate it. Don't love it. <laughs> try it again um but thank you guys so much for listening to figure out how we are all connected if you support us blink twice and if you're out there keep listening thank you for listening to podcast without an audience find us on social media at pod without an odd you can find us on instagram or facebook 
or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanod at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks and keep listening.